from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Monday, welcome back. New week, new stuff to talk about. If you want to join us on the radio, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, man, lots to talk about. Of course, uh, you've heard uh, that Trump won the South Carolina primary. Uh, putting Nikki Haley in uh, yet another losing position, yet she hasn't bailed out. And in fact, there, there's talk about uh, donors doubling down. They're going to donate more money. Uh, listen, they can do what they want. Obviously, she's positioning herself for a future run, maybe trying to take back the Republican Party. If I were an establishment guy, that's what I would, that's what I would do, too. I would make sure that uh, the candidate that they believe can win, uh, that they go out there and they, they give uh, Trump hell. And, you know, try to take back the RNC since Rona McDaniel is out. There's a lot to um, a lot of ground to recover if you are a Mitt Romney, right? An Adam Kinzinger, a uh, uh, Liz Cheney type of Republican. And, and, you know, honestly, they all of them were very um, normal at one point. Right. And and they, they kind of went towards the swamp while the party went more towards conservatism. And I think the party really decided that they didn't know how much was going on. And now that they do, they don't like what they know. And they've made their decision. And uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, Florida Governor Newsom, he's in the news. And he's uh, facing a, a recall, a new recall effort in California. I don't know if that'll be successful. But I do know he made his rounds on the, uh, the Sunday shows this weekend. And he was praising, praising, um, what's his name? Joe El Baboso Biden. How can I forget? He was praising Joe El Baboso Biden, uh, saying, well, you know, it's because of his age, precisely because of his age that he's doing so well. And I thought, man, <clears throat> you're, um, you're not doing yourself any favors. Uh, I, he's well put together. He's young. When you put him next to Joe, he looks like a million bucks. Uh, will he succeed? Yeah, I think so. If, if, he, if he's actually the guy. There's a lot of pressure, I think mainly from conservative Republicans, honestly, uh, for the Democrats to put up Michelle Obama. Uh, I don't see it happening. Uh, whenever I hear it, it's always from a conservative Republican. It's never some Looney Tune fringe lefty Democrat. I've never heard a Democrat tell me what we got to do is bring out our secret weapon. Michelle Obama. I just haven't. It's only conservative Republicans. I hope I get to eat these words. I hope the phone lines are lit up one day where everybody's saying, Rich, you got this one wrong. But I just don't see it happening. I don't see a, um, a play here where Michelle Obama says, you know what, let's forget the Netflix money, this $100 million. Let's forget this deal and that deal. Let's forget our books. We're just going to focus on making $400,000 a year and, and being in the White House again. When we all know full well they could make all the millions and millions that they're making now and uh, just have their people inside the White House. I think that's kind of the way they have it now. 
So it makes no sense for them to put themselves on the front line, right? It's like it's like saying the Godfather would become the enforcer. He's going to go out there and um, you know start uh, breaking legs. Just it's atypical. Now I know we've heard some stories, even on this show, that some enforcers, um, you know, that would be joined by the 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 capo by the, the the head guy. But I think again, that's you know maybe them coming to flex, maybe reminding everybody who's boss, but not very commonplace, not a very typical scenario. So anyway, I doubt that Michelle Obama will uh, leave her rich retirement to to run for president. I just don't see it. But hey. Maybe uh, I'm myopic on this. Now, something else I want to talk about, and this one was interesting. I find it very interesting. Is this, uh, let me see if I find it here on my audio sheet. Listen to this. Heidi Prisbola. I think I said that right. And she was on MSNBC over the weekend on Saturday. And she says that extremist conservative Christian nationalists believe that your rights come from God, not from the government. Imagine that. Listen to this. I've talked with a lot of experts on this, and I've seen it myself with my reporting, Michael, which is that the base of the Republican Party has shifted, right? Remember when Trump ran in 2016, a lot of the mainline evangelicals wanted mm-hmm. nothing to do with the divorced, uh, you know, real estate mogul who right. had cheated on his wife and with a porn star and all of that, right? So what happened was he was surrounded by this more extremist element. You're going to hear words like Christian nationalism, like the new apostolic reformation. These are groups that you should get very... Uh, very schooled on because they have a lot of power in Trump's circle. And the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem with that is that they are determining man Men, mm-hmm. it is men, yeah, yeah. are determining what God is telling them. Okay, so now this is fascinating to me. Fascinating to me. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, what's so fascinating, Rich? She just said that there are Christian nationalists that believe that our rights come from God instead of from men. Well, that I think is fascinating. And obviously, because it's not a... Um, in my opinion, and if, if you want to debate this with me, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in having a conversation about it. Our rights, the idea that our rights come from God and not from the government is not something that I thought sounded clever and decided to say on the radio. It's not something that I read in my Bible. Where does that idea come from? Come on, raise your hands, not all at once. Well, of course, it comes from our founding documents and the philosophy behind the men of the Enlightenment. I think we, we, I thought most of us knew that. I thought that the inalienable rights endowed by our creator might have given it away. <laughs> I thought our founding documents, but, but these men uh, of the Enlightenment and those that informed uh, the, the framers' thoughts, this is what they believed natural rights, natural law. I mean, am I the only one that's ever read about this stuff? How is it that this woman's on television has never heard about this? I mean, Miss uh, Heidi Prisbola. I- I'm-, I'm floored by this. 
But uh, let's let's finish that clip because I, I really wanted you to hear that. You might have seen it on social media or heard it on another program today during the daytime. But when I heard this, I scrolled through it over the weekend and I thought, oh, my goodness, we're in really bad shape. Check this out. And in the past, that so-called natural law is, you know, it's a pillar of Catholicism, for, mm -hmm. Catholicism, for instance. It's been used for good in social justice campaigns. Right. Martin Luther King evoked it in talking about civil rights. But now you have an extremist element of conservative Christians who say that this applies specifically to issues including abortion, gay marriage, and it's going much further than that, as you see, for instance, with the ruling in Alabama right. this week that judges connected to that dominionist uh, faction mm -hmm. in, in talking about um, a lot of other issues, including surrogacy, IVF, uh, you know, sex education in schools. It, it, there's a lot in addition. Well, Ms. Prisbola, let me say this. Um, Steve Dace over at Blaze Media, he's got a great piece, and he points out really well that this really all boils down to what America's founders called the laws of nature and nature's God. And where do you find it? Right in the Declaration of Independence. Right? The Spirit of the Age uh, website also um, lists the uh, natural law and how it's gaining in popularity in the last few decades. Um, and again, that, that may make sense, right? I think we may have gone away from that. Kind of like the idea that the Constitution is a living, breathing document. Now, I know that they don't really mean like you put a stethoscope up to this thing and you hear, of course not. No, but they, they, they feel that, you know, back then it was musket. So today, you know, clearly this applies to, to everything, these, these types of uh, correlations. And, and again, I'm not arguing all of that, uh, but people get hung up on this living, breathing document stuff where they say, well, back then, uh, black people were three-fifths of a person. You truly can't trust a document like this, can you? Well, I mean, that, in fact, that's not what it said, and it was a compromise that was made so that black people would be counted, period. But again, without context, without understanding your history, you're lost, right? The conversation is lost. So it 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 is sad, right? It's sad for me to take a look at something like this because, well, obviously, this is detrimental to the fabric of society. And when we look at how things are unfolding today, we look at uh, polling where there, there's one poll, at least the Quinnipiac poll, that's now got Biden ahead by four points. You've got all sorts of things that are happening. Um, the South Carolina primary just happened, but we've got Super Tuesday coming up. And it really, to me, just it, it, it opens uh, the door for bigger questions like, where do we go if we really don't know who we are or where we came from? How do we get to, to point B if many of us aren't even sure what point A is? And this isn't my preference or interpretation of, of these founding documents. That's literally what they're about. Anyway, if you disagree, you let me know. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be weaving in and out of that topic about natural law uh, throughout the entire evening. But straight ahead, I want to touch base on this poll from Quinnipiac. Is Biden really gaining on Trump? Is it just a, a one-off type of thing? We'll find out. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. Thank you, buddy. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. But who would have thought that now we have a border problem that's 20 times worse than what we had in 2016? 20 times. And we'll solve that one, too. But it's going to have to be very strong action, and it's going to have to happen fast before our country is just totally overwhelmed. Your victory will be our ultimate vindication. Your liberty will be our ultimate reward. And the unprecedented success of the United States of America will be my ultimate and absolute revenge. That's what I want. Success will be our revenge. Of course, there you have uh, President Donald Trump, the 45th president of these United States. I like to call him El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus. And he was speaking at CPAC. Uh, he's spoken at CPAC, I think, for the last five or six years as uh, the keynote speaker, or at least one of the keynote speakers. I think he's always uh, the, the, the crowd favorite. And this is the first CPAC I haven't been to in a number of years, probably since about 2019 or so. I, I spent the weekend in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I'll tell you about that later. Uh, but Trump was speaking at CPAC on Saturday, and he says that the success of this nation will be his revenge. Yet we have polls that suggest that from Quinnipiac University that Joe Biden is ahead by four points. Now, listen, polls are polls, right? There were polls showing Reagan losing. There were polls showing Trump losing. And both of them ended up winning. So polls are what they are. But when you have a slew of polls, it can kind of give you, I think, an inclination as to how voter sentiment is. But I want to break this down with someone we've had on the program before, and I'm excited to welcome her back, Nicolee Ambrose. She's a former national chair for the Young Republicans and a GOP national committee woman for Maryland. Nicolee, welcome back. So great to be with you tonight. Hello, hello. All right. So let's, let's jump right in um, because I think, A, you've got uh, Trump on the stage saying things like uh, the success of the country will be the best revenge, and I think that's a, a good line, and I think he should keep repeating it because – the left seems to be coming at him from the perspective that if you elect Trump, it's a wasted four years. It's going to be nothing but retribution, political payback. He's going to use the, the government to, to weaponize our legal system against his enemies. It's interesting how they, they kind of make that look. It seems to be that's what he's going through. But uh, what do you make of all this? So I, I, President Trump is clearly on track to secure this nomination in March, right? At this point, it's mathematical. You reach 1,215 delegates and you've secured the nomination. And my guess is he will do that by March 12th. And, you know, really by the end of March, you have 72% of the nation's delegates accounted for. So he's on track to, you know, secure the nomination, you know, over the next uh, few weeks here and in you know, hopefully bring it on home for America this fall. But, you know, there are a few weeks ago. We have Super Tuesday coming up, which is going to be big and exciting when 16 states and the territory of American Samoa vote. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll have fun seeing, um, seeing the results from those states in one territory. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, what do you think about this um this uh, strategy that he's using, saying that the best revenge is going to be success. It seems like he's taking the high road as opposed to, I think, the way he would in the past kind of fire back and 
and just, you know, blame them of being um, uh, projectionists and, you know, doing what they saying he's doing what they're actually doing. Do you, do you think this is an effective strategy to win people over? So, you know, what I keep, you know, hearing pundits and, you know, friends and folks say about Trump is, oh, you know, he's moderated his tone or he's more measured. Um, you know, one of the smartest things I heard from Saturday night is he did not say his competitor's name once. He did not say Nikki Haley. He was just focused on the general, which is the smart thing to do, right? Because you are making the case not only to the primary base, your primary Republican base, that I am the person who shares your values, but you're also making the case that I am the person who can defeat Joe Biden and stop this policy nightmare from ruining this country and your children and grandchildren's future. So um, when Donald Trump is focused, um, he is just phenomenal on the stump, right? Um, You know, I'm one of those suburban moms. I live in a blue suburban area and I have to deal, right, with people all around me who have just been conditioned that they must hate Donald Trump no matter what. And so I think that, you know, kind of my one hope, because historically, you know, those, you know, moms help determine the vote. You can say that about any group, but let's just say in this case, I want those moms to be able to choose when they go in the ballot booth or get their mail-in ballot at home. I want them to say, no matter what my friends say, you know, in my yoga class or on the soccer field at my kid's game, I'm still going to vote for the person who's going to keep my country safe, who's going to bring down inflation, who's going to make it affordable for me to buy another car or refinance my home or buy my dream home. And that is not America under Joe Biden. So when Trump is laser focused, like he has been recently, um, that's the type of Donald Trump that can bring in. I think some of these different groups that he's had a harder time with in recent years, um, when they hear that message and when they know for a fact what policies lead to. Folks, we're on with Nikolai Ambrose, former national chair for the Young Republicans and Republican National Committee woman for the state of Maryland. We're coming right back. We're continuing our discussion on the polls and the 2024 election. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Coming right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen.
Valdez Night. This is Rich Valdez. And you know, uh, stand here in front of this portrait of the man behind me here. He, uh, he said, and I want to make sure I get the quote exactly right. He said, the better angel, he said, we must address the council and address the better angels of our nature. And we do, and we do well to remember what else he said. He said, we're not enemies, but we're friends. It's the middle of the, in the part of the Civil War. He said, we're not enemies, we're friends. We must not be enemies. Folks, and I've been around, I know I don't look it, I've been around a long while. <laughs> and uh, I mean this sincerely. We've gotten, politics has gotten too bitter. All right, Joe Biden, who launched his campaign for president with that uh, campaign ad, I'll never forget it, as a bunch of guys uh, holding torches, screaming, the Jews will not replace us, which later I think we found out that those guys were not necessarily um, real, right? They were actually Democrat operatives posing as uh, Nazi supporters. Anyway, Joe Biden, uh, who became president for the simple purpose of calling Trump a Nazi, a white supremacist, and running his entire campaign on not being Trump, says that politics has begotten, uh, become too nasty. But there's a poll that has him ahead, so maybe some of his rhetoric is working. I don't know. Nicolee Ambrose, former national chair for the Young Republicans and uh, GOP National Committee woman from Maryland, what say you? So this Quinnipiac poll came out last week, and everyone looked at it and said, wow, what's going on? You know, we've seen CNN and MSNBC in full meltdown over their polls showing Trump winning. And when you look at the real, real clear politics average of polls, when you put those all together, it has Trump beating Biden by two points. But OK, let's dissect this for a second. First of all, no matter what any poll says, it's six months out from an election. We have to view this as a highly competitive race. It could go yeah. anyway. And personally, I always want to be the underdog in the race. You know, I want my team, my candidates, you know, I want to run as the word, the underdog. And, you know, we are going to be prepared for any possible thing they throw at us. But let's let's drill down on this Quinnipiac poll. OK, it is not what I would call a terribly reliable poll because they absolutely oversampled Democrats. According to Gallup, if you look at our national party registration, uh, Democrats are at an all new all new low of 27 percent which is tied with Republicans, which are always generally a little tiny lower than Democrats. But right now, both parties are tied at 27 percent with 43 percent of the electorate uh, affiliating as independents. This poll um, actually sampled 50 more Democrats uh, than Republicans. And so I would say they absolutely oversampled, which could have absolutely led to that outcome, which doesn't it does not fall in line with any other poll. Um, but we also know that in the end, presidential, you know, the, the victor of the presidency depends on the Electoral College. And right now it comes down, it's going to come down to six states. And in those six swing states, Trump <clears throat> is leading in five of those six swing states by anywhere from 0.6 to 8.4%. But you also <clears throat> touched on one other thing, mm-hmm. which is since Biden's week of horror in the middle of February, his approval rating has actually notched up two points. And so, you know, how can this be? The man's falling apart on the world stage. And I'm starting to wonder if it's sympathy. 
Yeah. Who knows? We'll have to figure it out. People feel bad. Well, you know, another thing, and I think you bring up an excellent point, that it, uh, certain polls are not incredibly reliable. And I know that yeah. any poll, irrespective of who does it, they tend to be more accurate when they poll likely voters, people that have a history of voting in elections in the last couple of elections, right. as opposed to just polling registered voters. And this particular poll only uh, polled registered voters, which uh, I always think is um, it's an easier way out, but it's not always a uh, the most accurate way to get a sense of what's going on. And even if it was, it just kind of underscores the point that you made, which I agree with, is that it's a competitive race. Uh, it's still anybody's right. game. This is not a foregone conclusion that Trump is, you know, picking out the drapes in the Oval Office and and that Biden is, you know, on his way to the nursing home. So with, with that being said, what is your I guess your your caution, your admonition to uh, to the Trump team or even the Biden team as they uh, from a political perspective continue to navigate these waters? I think I am. I actually just wrote an op-ed on this. So I think foremost, Republicans have to focus on Biden's policy disasters. They cannot focus on his mental and physical failings because that will curry sympathy. People will say, oh, it's like when my poor grandma was yeah. in her last steps. They will feel sorry for him. And we do not need to engender sympathy for a man whose family has taken bribes, essentially, from America's greatest enemies. We don't need to increase sympathy for a man who's nearly gotten us in World War III several times in the past two years and might before his presidency is over. We don't need to increase sympathy for a man who is creating an absolute invasion of our country with completely open borders. So we have to focus on policy. We cannot dwell on things that, quite frankly, are out of his control or anyone else's control um, because it takes away from what a horrible president he is and how terrible his policies are for this country. Yeah, I noted. And with your role as a national committee person, what's your take uh, in as much as you're able to share on uh, the change in leadership or the forthcoming change in leadership uh, at the RNC? So we received um, emails this morning from Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel and our co-chair Drew McKissick that they will be stepping down effective a spring meeting we are going to have um, in just under two weeks. And then this evening we received an email from Michael Watley, who currently serves as our general counsel and who is the chair of North Carolina, uh, saying that he is uh, seeking the chairmanship. Um, as we know, President Trump has been very vocal in his <laughs> several different events that uh, Michael Wally is his choice for chair. And I think he's also suggesting, of course, his uh, daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, for co-chair. So the, it, that meeting that where that vote would occur, uh, technically we have to receive a 10-day call, to, uh, you know, call for that meeting for there to be a vote. Uh, but we are expecting it very soon. All right. And uh, it sounds like uh, the, the consensus is that it's probably going to go in that direction, whereas people uh, it's my opinion that the Republican Party suffered a death blow during the Obama years and that there wasn't much of a framework left. If you disagree, feel free and let me know your thoughts. But I feel like Trump came and kind of breathed new life into the party and took it in a populist direction, a little bit more conservative direction, kind of. Uh, reawaken the Tea Party, and and we have 
what we have today known as MAGA. And I feel like it's very difficult to make a move within the party as a whole without MAGA being a part of it. Do you think that's accurate? I think, yes. And I, I think what's really important is that you kind of marry all those factors together, right? The Tea Party movement was such a beautiful, organic creation, right? Mm -hmm. It literally was completely organic. It was phenomenal. Remember being on Capitol Hill for this fantastic Tea Party rally and we everyone like cleaned up the litter afterwards and the Capitol Police were so impressed. And you know, it was just it was such a sweet day in America. America. Yes. And then and then you had Trump come along and say things that no one else wants well, very few people wanted to say, but most people agree with and it's refreshing to have you know, that honesty about, you know, a strong, bold America policy that puts America first. Those are all beautiful things. At the same time, here's the balance I want to strike. Those, um, you know, anywhere, depending on the poll, from 24 percent to 44 percent of Nikki Haley voters in that South Carolina primary say they will not vote for Trump in the general. That's what we have to fix. We still need folks who are Republicans who might not think Trump is the greatest thing since life spread. We still need their vote, right? And we need more than Republicans vote. We need independents and we need Democrat crossovers because that's what you have to do to create a winning coalition in this country. So we just have to figure out, okay, how do we make that happen? Because we need to win. This country is too important to not win this election. Nicolae Ambrose, do you think that Governor Christie Nome brings that to the table? You know, my this is complete personal opinion. When Trump did his first like campaign rally of this cycle, like two years ago in Wellington, Ohio, Christy Nome was the one person there that he recognized. And I said to myself, I bet anything that is going to be his deep um, candidate. You know, I, I think Christy Nome's fantastic. I really personally like her. I think she's a great governor. Um, Love that she's, you know, a strong but feminine governor. It's fantastic. You know, you're allowed to be a strong feminine woman, and it's a great thing. Um, so I think that would be a great choice. But then again, sometimes you have to, you, you know, make deals to try to increase the vote. So I think your guess, your guess is as good as mine as to where this all ah. could go. But I absolutely think Christy Nome is a top contender. Do you think Governor Nikki Haley is a potential contender? I don't think so. Yeah, I think a few too many bridges have been burned. And I have to say, you know, I'm not a huge fan of her governorship in South Carolina, but I did think she did a great job at the U.N. But it's really biting the hand that feeds you. He gave her an appointment that she was not technically the most qualified person on the list because she wanted it. She got this great appointment as U.N. ambassador and then, has, has, has not exactly been the most loyal. So I, 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 I could imagine being a little frustrated if I were in his shoes. But at the same time, there needs to be some mending offenses at some point. You know, we're getting several vibes from the Haley campaign that finally, that if they don't make it through Super Tuesday, they're finally going to reexamine things. We know, one, that AFT has pulled their funding. Number mm-hmm. two, even Kristen Nunu was on TV saying if she doesn't make it past Super Tuesday, it would be, be hard to justify it. And then we've heard her own campaign manager say that all eyes are on Super Tuesday, which is March 5th. So yep. it, I think we're finally, finally seeing that almost there. she, um, yeah, we, we, we might be down to one person in the race, but, you know, we have to go through the process.
All right, Nicolie Ambrose, we're coming right back. Uh, we have uh, some calls, some questions, and uh, my final question to you is, does Michelle Obama make a grand entrance? I don't know. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. more news in your commentary, in your analysis, than there is on the news network. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Nicolie Ambrose, and we're getting to your calls momentarily. Again, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. Nicolie Ambrose, there's all this talk, typically, in my opinion, from conservative Republicans uh, that Michelle Obama will be the leading favorite to replace Joe Biden at a contested Democrat convention. Some say, yes, you can do it. Some say you can't do it. Uh, the New York Post has a piece right now that uh, says nearly half of Democrats want to give Biden the boot, get him off the ticket and replace him with Michelle Obama. Uh, do you think that this uh, polling that they're reporting on from Rasmussen is accurate? They're saying 48 percent of Democrats uh, approve of the party finding another candidate. I think that sounds right. I just don't know if it's Michelle Obama. What say you? My gut is that it's even higher than that. People are just almost afraid to admit it. Um, I think if you did that poll after that really rough week with the her report, you know, Biden confusing the president of Egypt with the president of Mexico and just completely unable to complete a sentence in front of the National Press Corps, I think that number has gone up dramatically. And my point further to that is we can say, oh, he had a rough day, but imagine how he would perform when the first presidential debate occurs in September. They're now only an hour and a half, but how on earth does Joe Biden perform for three debates, an hour and a half each in that condition? So though I earlier said we can't criticize his physical and mental failings right now. I think Americans will lose their patience when he either refuses to debate or embarrasses himself on the debate stage. So I do think Democrats are looking at a plan B of replacing them at their convention. I think they have to. So, yes, the question is who. I don't I mean, Michelle Obama, who knows? She yeah. has a pretty good lifestyle right now. It's not like she needs that extra stress, whereas someone like a Gavin Newsom is kissing the ring. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the governor of my uh, state, who's a progressive radical Democrat, focusing on um, helping criminals instead of victims with every piece of legislation he can, Westmore, is also kissing the ring. I think you see this little kind of, ritual going on in the Democrat Party right now where you have all these Democrat governors coming to the White House, bowing down, kissing Biden's feet, telling him he's the greatest, going on TV saying he's the greatest, all trying to position themselves to potentially come out of the Democrat convention with a nomination instead of Biden. Yeah, I, I don't know how well that does. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you think that there's like a magic bullet there that if they do this convention and they say, all right, Biden says he's out, Newsom's in, that somehow magically this guy beats Trump? So th there, there are some polls out there saying, okay, how about 
Gavin Newsom. It shows him losing, I believe, by 10. How about Gretchen Whitmer? I think it shows her losing by 12. So, uh, you know, they haven't. You know, so is the question really one of name ID or is it a question of people think of California and think, wow, how could governments be so bad that people are <laughs> fleeing this gorgeous state? You right. know, so I think that is kind of like in the heads of most Americans at this point. Um, but 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 we'll see. We'll see. Because it doesn't make sense, really, that if everyone's complaining about the age of the candidates, that young younger candidates would perform so badly. So it's it's kind of I mean, this is. Right. Definitely the year to for for that will be talked about in history books forevermore. Uh, it's very unpredictable. So much could happen. I would say get out the popcorn. But, you know, if you're on the right <laughs> side of the aisle, I want you get a, get out and work. Please be an election judge. Please knock some doors. Please do not make sure every single one of your friends votes and make sure they get their ballot in. Just we need all hands on deck. Yeah, I hear that. Folks, Nicolay Ambrose, I want to thank you for being with us. Let everybody know how they can follow you and keep up to speed with all the op-eds and other work that you're doing. You are so kind, and I really appreciate it. My My website is NicolaeAmbrose.com, Nicole with an extra E. Um, I'm also that on X, formerly Twitter, at Nicolae Ambrose, and Facebook, at Nicolae USA. And I was also on Brian Kilmeade earlier today, so check out that podcast. Sounds good. Nicolae Ambrose, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. God bless. You are fantastic. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, folks, your calls and more coming up right now. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, to the phones we go. Let's go to Tom in Cleveland, Ohio, WNIR. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, I was wondering, is it possible, and what if Donald Trump decided to declare himself a Democrat now? Well, and how would he do that? Because, I mean, he'd have to to be... uh, the nominee, he'd have to, you know, have the delegate support of the Democrat Party, which I don't think he'll get. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, I understand. And do you think that Nikki Haley could possibly be? Uh, uh, That's probably more likely uh, because she's against Trump. <laughs> so I think they might be willing to hold their nose and and uh, vote for a, a former Republican that's turned into a Democrat. But I just don't think all of that, that fantasy land stuff really works in real elections. Uh, it would be very difficult for anybody to win, I think, switching party affiliation right in the middle of an election. I think to do that, you have to do that, you know, like last year or six months ago and say, hey, I'm going to run as a kind of like JFK Jr. did. He ran as a Democrat, didn't work, said, I'm, I'm going to run as an independent. Still not working. Um, and, and there's a good example of how you, you could be a Kennedy and it still wouldn't work. Tom, thank you for the call in Cleveland, Ohio. Al in New York, sorry we didn't get to you. Folks, we're coming right back with our number two. Don't go anywhere. We got a good show for you tonight. 833-4-VALDEZ.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you this Monday, hour number two of the program. Feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a couple of stories that we're looking at. Uh, President Trump has appealed the $355 million ruling in the uh New York City uh, civil fraud case. And that's already like $100 million up because of interest uh, that, that they are automatically apply. So I think it's at 454 and another $87,000 per day until uh, this gets resolved. And uh, with the AG, uh, Tish James, saying that you're not getting any of that money until you pay the bill, right? Or, or and if you can't pay the bill, we're going to take your buildings. Imagine that. Imagine owning like a big building, this golden skyscraper over there on Fifth Avenue and um, and somebody taking it away because there was this quote unquote crime that happened a million years ago where even the people that are that the state is saying were the aggrieved say they weren't aggrieved. They're like, no, he paid it back with interest. <laughs> it's just it's it's bizarre to me. But these are the things that we see. And and it's pretty crazy. Now, you got CPAC, of course, was this weekend and we have a couple of clips. I'll play those for you. Um, in the next hour, hour number three of the program. And uh, I didn't make it to CPAC this year, uh, lamentably. I, I wish I would have because there was a couple of people there I wanted to speak with. Um, I would love to have met uh, President Nayib Bukele from El Salvador. And uh, I would also would have loved to have met um, President uh, Javier Milei from Argentina. And I, I think there's, and, and not fandom or anything like that, but really like, these guys accomplished something that I think few would have suspected that a, a politically conservative um, candidate for president would win in a place like Argentina or El Salvador. And I think that's it's a pretty um, a big feat for them to, to have won against many odds. So I'd love to pick their brain. And oftentimes, I think when you're around people that have certain experiences that are unique, you're able to get their experience. Trump, of course, was there, and we've uh, had a conversation with Trump on this program before. So, you know, I always like to learn from people who have different and unique experiences. And, for example, what if we had the opportunity to speak with somebody who was the CEO of 7-Eleven or even the CEO and former chairman of Blockbuster, right? We would learn something. And, and we're going to do just that because James Keyes is our guest tonight, and he is now the chairman and CEO of Key Development. Uh, that's his new company. But he did serve as CEO of 7-Eleven and uh, as the former chairman and CEO of Blockbuster, uh, two, two places that I can say over the years I frequented plenty. And we're going to talk about focusing on education and how that can fix the polarization that we have in America. And I think that's a good place to go because, you know me, I, I like to build consensus, not necessarily a middle-of-the-road kind of guy at all. But I do believe we can't hate the other side. 
uh, we've got to live with them. We've got to work with them. That's just how life works. So he's got a brand new book. It's called Education is Freedom. The future is in your hands. Now, this book comes out in about an hour, maybe about 50 minutes. I'm in New York, so it hits midnight in about uh, 50 minutes or so. And I recommend that you get a copy for yourself, a copy to give away to somebody who might want to learn from this story. And we're going to learn a little bit about the book and his story right now. James Keyes, welcome to the program. Hello, Rich. Great to be with you. My pleasure. So let's um, let's I guess we'll take it from the top here. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a big topic that you're breaking down and you have a, a unique blend of experiences, I think, that lend itself well to talking about this topic. But uh, how do you end up becoming the CEO of 7-Eleven and the CEO of Blockbuster? How, did you set out to be like an MBA that said, I'm going to run a company or that, was it happenstance? What, what's your story? I did not, Rich. In fact, I was one of those kids that had no clue. I had no exposure to business whatsoever. Grew up in a very small town. And literally, I thought business was typing class. You know, that was the, (laughs) I had, that's the only frame of reference. Or maybe the factory my dad worked in, you know, that that was the, uh, that was business to me. And I had no interest in it. It, uh, it truly was a journey and it was a journey fueled by uh, the power of learning by education that got me to college then on to graduate school and um, just a series of amazing opportunities and discovering basically that everything that I could attribute my success to ultimately in life tied back somehow some way to something I had learned along the way and so Hence the commitment now to sharing that lesson with others and, and encourage everybody to just get back to the fundamentals of learning. So now, James Keyes, uh, I think this is a pretty cool story. Now, did you, did you study business in grad school or did you study something else? I did. I actually I set out to be a lawyer because in my limited worldview, no frame of reference for professional roles, that was the best thing I could think about doing. I think I'll be a lawyer. You know, they were, they were suits and ties and they make money. (laughs) And so I I really didn't have any, any uh, clear path toward business. I actually had a professor in college uh, who intercepted me and said, Jim, you got to promise me you'll at least look at a business career. You're going to make a terrible lawyer. I'm a little (laughs) lady. I think (laughs) He, he knew I wouldn't be good at contracts. And so he encouraged me to get a uh, Columbia University. I just uh, started a program called the JD MBA for in a four year deal. You could get two degrees. And he said, promise me you'll at least apply. And I, I did never thinking I would ever get accepted or ever be able to afford Columbia University. And um, sure enough, I got into the business school first. The law school waitlisted me, started at the B school, got a job during the summer, an internship. And they said, uh, with a big oil company, Gulf Oil, and they said, forget about the JD, just finish the MBA, we're going to hire you full time. Wow. And I was starving, so I did, <laughs> and never looked <laughs> back. It, was, uh, it ended up being a pretty, pretty interesting career. Wow. Folks, we're on with James Keyes. He's the former CEO of 7-Eleven and uh, of Blockbuster. And uh, were you there when Blockbuster went toward the end of days, or was it during the growth time? What was your uh, tenure there? I was I was at Blockbuster at the very end. I, I gave it my best shot to try to transform the company and to rescue it. Basically, it was struggling from 
a balance sheet with a billion dollars of debt and a third of it due in 2009. You remember what happened in 2008, uh, which oh, yeah. is really the story behind. There's so much learning in the blockbuster story. It's a shame that people dismiss it as you know Netflix uh, killing Blockbuster and Blockbuster not keeping up with competition. Not at all the case. It's really oh. far more complex story about change, not just digital transformation change, but economic crisis hitting a company with a big balance sheet and a lot of debt. Um, there, there's just a lot to the story that people really have never heard. Fascinating. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that would have been my next question. <laughs> would have been like, yeah. so Netflix did you in? Because, uh, you know, you tend to, to see what, what survived in that space and, um, and it, it just comes to mind. Uh, so, okay, cool. I want to, um, to jump into to the book a little bit um, when we come back. Folks, we're on with James Keyes, and he is the author of the book, Education is Freedom. The future is in your hands. This book comes out in about 45 minutes. Make sure you uh, pre-order. You could pre-order it right now on Amazon if you so choose. I recommend getting a copy for yourself and one to give away. It seems like a fascinating story. And we're going to hear more about it when we come back with James Keyes. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. We're having a conversation with James Keyes, and James Keyes grew up in a small town in central Massachusetts, and he thought he was going to have a tough road ahead decides on a whim, you know, with his family's advice and, and other good wisdom that was shared with him that he should go ahead and take a look at a business career. A, 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 a professor tells him he would be a terrible lawyer. He goes to business school, applies to one of the best ones in the country, gets in, and, and the rest is history. He becomes the CEO of 7-Eleven and the chairman and CEO of Blockbuster. And he's written a book now. And of all things, it's not about business. It's about how to use education to fix the polarization in America. The name of the book is Education is Freedom. The future is in your hands. And this book comes out in about 40 minutes. Go to Amazon.com and get a copy. Education is Freedom by James Keyes. James Keyes, let's talk a little bit about the book. So you, you're with 7-Eleven, which I think is a, res, is a resounding success. I think I could say that confidently. Um you have uh, this career in business and you, you decide to write a book about education. Why? I did, Rich. Well, leading two Fortune 500 companies, it was really clear to me that we've got a challenge in finding an educated workforce mm. uh, for lots and lots of jobs. 
And uh, we were having a lot of challenges at 7-Eleven, both at 7-Eleven and Blockbuster, just in filling those basic store manager jobs. Wanted people with a degree, if we could, with the ability to run a small business because a, a small store is, in effect, a business in itself. And the, it became really apparent that our school system was not producing enough educated future employees. And if you think about us, this as a supply and demand issue, business is the demand for most educated workers. And the supply is largely coming from the public school system. Well, there's a disconnect there because public school systems are funded by state and local governments. We know many of the challenges there, but that doesn't help the fact that the demand is still there and growing. So if we want to be competitive into the next century, then business has to step up and be able to recognize our demand is there and our supply is not sufficient. So let's take some action. So at 7-Eleven, we created a foundation called the Education is Freedom Foundation going into public schools, showing kids the path that, that they can actually uh, get a terrific job on the end, stay in school, graduate from high school at least, get an associate's degree, get a college degree, a four-year degree if you can, and here's the path to success. And it, it's one of those things that was very special to me because my life is so dramatically different. And you tend to think about it in terms of wealth, but it's really about freedom. The difference between me and you know, my brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, people that didn't get a chance to go to college or, or go into a professional career, the difference isn't just about money. And yes, I obviously live a little more comfortably, but it's about freedom because I have the ability to do anything I want to do. I now have unlocked the secret that I can learn virtually anything and transform my life into whatever I choose to do. I love so it. I wrote Folks, it in a book. Yeah, we're on with James I wanted to share the wealth. <laughs> and let me tell him the name of the book. Check this out. It's Education is Freedom. The future is in your hands. And that book comes out in a little bit. And I love it. You know, during the break, I was just telling our producer that um, I, I founded, a, co-founded, I should say, I was part of a founders group of, uh, with a few other professionals in different areas, uh, a charter school in New Jersey. And one of the guys was a lobbyist. And that was his reason for getting in, same as you. And I wondered if, if you guys shared that. And he said hiring folks for gas station convenience stores, and that was the, the lobby that he was in charge of, the uh, gasoline and convenience store lobby in New Jersey. Uh, he said it was nearly impossible at, at a certain point after a number of years of doing this to find qualified people to count the money and pump gas. And he said, we've got a real problem with education. And that was why he became an education advocate. So hearing you uh, say the same thing is remarkable because I, I think that's a big problem in America. It's, it's a huge problem. And, we, you know, and sadly right now, Rich, there's a narrative out there and, and it's a conservative narrative and it's killing me because it is uh, Peter Thiel, for example, has put a bounty on, you know, don't go to college and, you know, here's money. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal has come out with articles saying it's college as important as it used to be. And my screaming response is, yes, it's more important than ever. We're about to, to enter. We are in the information age. And, you know, AI is going to replace a lot of jobs, but we need to have the ability to go broad, not deep. AI is going to go very deep. So humans need to be able to have breadth of education, breadth of knowledge to take us into the next century. And corporations desperately need, will desperately need these workers. So the United States, especially, our trend has been not good. Our 
college graduates have declined from something in the 60% range down close to 40. And in the same period of time since 2012, China has gone from some 40% to 60. So other countries are doubling down on education. And we've got this narrative in the U.S. right now that says, no, it's not, a, we're not really sure it's even important anymore. Um, not true. And so I'm out there hoping to, to change that narrative and remind everybody that uh, not just corporations, going all the way back to Jefferson and de Tocqueville, the founding fathers said that, um, that, that the basis and the sustainability of a democracy was an educated populace. And we're going in the wrong direction right now. So it's time for us to all to you know, remind ourselves of the power of learning and the power of education. Amen to that. Listen, and I, I agree with you. I think education is always key. It's always the great equalizer in many ways. I think the, and I don't necessarily agree with uh, Peter Thiel and the rest of those guys, but I, I think that there's uh, uh, a reticence towards um, college educations, A, because they're expensive, B, because of the uh, uh, left-wing indoctrination that so many receive. And I think C, is that I think it's reached a point of diminishing returns where people are graduating and they're just not making back the investment in the education or working in their field. So I think uh, there has to be a conversation about laser focus, kind of like what you just addressed, you know, about breadth and depth. And uh, I think that's a conversation that needs to continue to happen. Uh, let everybody know how they could learn a little bit more about the book and the work that you're doing. Sure. Well, the book is available uh, literally, as you said, and thanks for the preview because it uh, launches tomorrow. It's available in bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target. Uh, it'll be out uh, readily available, Hudson Books in the, in the airports. Uh, but it's also available right now on Amazon.com. You can get your order in. It'll, it'll deliver in the next two days. So uh, readily available for everybody. I encourage you to read it. I, I started, my objective originally was to to reach the younger crowd and to say, here's a book that will help you understand the what, how, and why of learning. Um, but interestingly, what I'm finding is a big part of the audience is uh, entrepreneurs, people that want to succeed, it, it, especially the, the what of learning. I, I talk about change, confidence, and clarity. Um, I, I call uh, uh, change the importance of embracing change that Change equals opportunity. Be a CEO. Oh, change is, is one of those things that we can never get away from. James Keys, check him out at educationisfreedom.org. James, sorry to cut you off. The music means they're kicking both of us out of here. You are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I thank you for being here. Folks, we're coming right back. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you till 1 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. We're live. And familia, I want to talk about a, a an amazing story, an amazing story that comes with a warning. 
And this warning is so important today because we see an open border. We see the the change in our education system. We see the change in our media. We're seeing changes all over our culture. And those that have experienced this type of revolution in the past see the Marxist fingerprints all over it. And many of us have had the benefit of being born in this country where we just don't see it and we're just thinking we're in a difficult time. But those that have seen this stuff before, they can smell it coming a mile away. And somebody that's written a book about Mao's America and and has added her own survivor's warning is she Van Fleet. She's written the book Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. It's an amazing book. If you don't have a copy, you should get two, one for yourself, one to give away. And she's here with us to tell us about the book, but more importantly, about the warning for America. Xi Van Fleet, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, tell us a little bit about your story. Where were you born and what did you experience? Um, I was born 10 years after the founding of the so-called New China, the CCP's China. So I was born in 1959. And when I was uh, seven, the Cultural Revolution started. That was 1966. And my life, along with everybody's life in China, was turned upside down. And that cultural revolution destroyed uh, Chinese culture, basically. Yeah. And because it's called uh, um, cultural revolution, it destroyed our economy. It destroyed lives for millions. And uh, in the process, about 20 million people lost their lives. When it was all over in 1976, when Mao died, China was really in the brink of total collapse. And, and, and when he died, I was only 17. And uh, I was in the countryside, uh, receiving my so-called re-education from the peasants after I graduated from high school in 1975. So I stayed in the countryside for three years before I could go to college when college was finally opened. And so eventually I was able to get education and was given a job teaching in a teacher's, uh, teacher's training college. Eventually was able to get, uh, uh, to get to America to pursue my graduate, graduate study. So that's my just, you know, short brief description of what happened. Right. But that's a long story to, 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 to tell the story, what, what I experienced, what I saw during that 10 years of cultural revolution. Folks, we're on with Xi Van Fleet. She experienced the cultural revolution, and she's written a book called Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. Now, Xi Van Fleet, tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book. What was it that you saw and are seeing now in America? Just like you into a beautiful introduction, um, when you experience something and uh, you see it happen again, you, you, you recognize right away. And that's exactly what happened uh, to me or people like me, not just people from, uh, from China who experienced cultural revolution and, and everybody who lived uh, through communism say the same thing. And I, 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 I talk to a lot of them. And because it's the same playbook, and it, it is absolutely um, 
a way to control people, to divide people and control people. And, uh, and that's the essence of uh, the uh, communism is control everybody, not just um, the property that they took away. You probably just control what you can have, um, but also control what you can think and what you can say. And uh, and that's exactly what's going on today in America. So it's yeah. the same thing. It's the same playbook. Oh, I agree. Tell, tell me a little bit about what what did you see happening uh, back home in China specifically? And, and how do you relate that to some of the things that are happening in America today? Um, many, many things, of course. And one of them is uh, uh, political identity. And so here we, we, we know that very well. We all have an identity and some based on um, class, some based on race. Basically, race is the most important uh, identity one can have. But there's more, right? We know that intersectionality. There are so many things that can be part of your identity. The more intersection uh, sectionality you have, the more a victim you are. Um, and that, to a lot of people, that's just um, a way of life in America, but it's not always the case. I came here in 1986. I saw everything went from bad to worse, but that's nothing new because in China, in Mao's China, we had the same thing. It is based on class instead of race. So I think when you will contact me, you refer to the post, uh, the tweet that I posted. Yes. It's about land reform. And that was a very important political campaign. And that's what took place in 1949 to 1951, because that actually created the model for political campaign and that the, um, the others followed. And during Mao's 27 years of reign, he launched more than 50 political campaigns. But it's the last one is the Cultural Revolution. But they all based on the same model, which started in the land reform. So they divided people. It is during the land reform, they divided people into two classes, black class and red class. And I think you can kind of figure out what it means. Red are the allies of the revolution, the, the, the good right. one. And black is the enemy of the people or enemy of the state. Who are they? They're the landowners, property owners. <laughs> so, that's and that's funny. something that was foreign to uh, the Chinese people back then. The class, that's just not something they're familiar with. So right. how, do you, yeah, how, 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 how do you make them get into this uh, uh, campaign? You educate them. You indoctrinate them. And so, and so they send a work team to help them to understand that you are poor, not because you are poor, um, that's your fault. You are poor because someone was rich. And so that, that, that rich person was the reason you are poor. And so, and, and then the, the, you know, the video I posted, you could see that they get activists to really, um, to train them, to coach them, and to, um, uh, and then and 
get them to lead the others to join uh, the campaign. And that's what's going on today here. And yeah. how, how do you get people to understand it, um, that uh, we are really um, here, uh, we are um, racist country, right? We, 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 the, the, the Americans are, are, are racist. And they, they, instead of uh, saying that the original thing is wealth, like in China, here the original thing is whiteness. So in order to help people to understand this, we have DEI, do we? We have DEI in pro- pretty much most of the institutions. What they do, they do trainings. They help people to understand that whiteness is the problem. Just like uh, you know, during the land reform that the parents were taught, wealth was the problem. And uh, so anyway, I-, I think that is part of the parallels that that most people don't understand, but to people who experienced it, it's It's just very familiar. Right. And you know, when you say that they pair them up with activists, I feel like we see that every day in our media because the media has become the activist for, for the, uh, the, the party that embraces Marxism in our political system. Folks we're on with she van fleet and she's written a book, Mao's America, a survivor's warning. And we're discussing how the use of Marxist tactics to divide and indoctrinate and deceive and coerce are alive and well in America the same way they were during her time in China during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. This story continues straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Familia, we're having a conversation with She Van Fleet. She's the author of Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. And she lived through the horrors of the Chinese Cultural Revolution as a schoolgirl, forced to the countryside with other Chinese uh, for re-education after high school. And then she later escaped communism and found freedom and a new life in America. She Van Fleet, tell us what that was like. How did you get out of China and what was your journey to the United States like? Well, and after I gra- uh, graduated from high school, as I said, I was sent to the countryside. So finally, after Mao died, um, his successor, Deng Xiaoping, uh, knew that... Uh, um, he has to do something. Otherwise, CCP and the whole China were bankrupt and were, you know, on pretty much on its deathbed. So he decided to reform and by opening China up, but also, also by opening universities during the Cultural Revolution, everything was closed, uh, including universities. So I was able to go to school, to college, at the age of 
19, which was not too bad. So, because I was sent to the countryside when I was only 16. Um, so I was lucky that I did not miss the opportunity for a lot of uh, young Red Guards. They, they were just too old to go to college. So after that, I was uh, given the job teaching in a teacher's college. And eventually I was able to get assistantship and come to America in 1986. Wow. And did you experience a hardship in, in your journey here or was it a pretty smooth um, transition from China to America? Well, it's a culture shock, definitely. And uh, there's a lot of learning to do. And um, I did I did describe in my book, and one of the things that's facing me is choices. I never had much choice in China. I was told what to do, and I was allowed to do this, not allowed to do that. So I never had to choose. And coming here, and that was overwhelming, that everything I do, I have a choice and including taking classes in the uh, in, in college. Mm-hmm. Um, that was new to me. You know, I was just, just, when I was in college, we were giving this many courses and that's it. You know, there, there, there's no choices. And so everything was a, um, a choice. So actually freedom to an enslaved person can be overwhelming. And I yeah. always say communism is free, uh, is slavery. And so and I have a lot of uh, you know, justice to, uh, uh, adjustment to do. But also, I have to say, to understand freedom is not automatic. Just because I came to America, just because I have freedom, uh, did not mean that I understand it. And so thinking back, you know, when I came here, I thought I left communism behind me. I think there's just nothing I need to worry about. I mean, in America, what can go wrong? So I did not pay much attention to politics. I did go to vote in presidential election every time, uh, but not really understand the issues. And I feel like um, that's beyond me and I don't have to worry about it. When I, until I start to see things kind of uh, bothersome, some, some, some um, alarming signs here or there, and political correctness was the first thing I noticed. That here in America, we were taught or told that hmm. we could see that uh, we could not see this or could not see that. Uh, there was one correct way of saying certain things, and there was one correct way of thinking. And it just reminded me of the Cultural Revolution. And uh, gradually, I feel like I need to understand. Why there's a why there's a freedom here, and so I would say not that long ago, probably 15 years ago, I started to to read more books about the history of America and to understand what freedom is really is. Do you know that just two days ago, um, and there was a video going viral of some journalist complaining in the, in, in, I don't know, CNN or MSNBC, that there's some people, some far right people think that their rights are from, uh, from their creator, not from Congress. <laughs> did, did you know that? 
I did actually. I opened the show with that a little while ago, and I was shocked that I there are Americans shocked. that didn't know this. That's Chief what Van we Fleet, were taught. I, I want to get your reaction to that video when we come back. Folks, we're on with She Van Fleet. She's the author of Mao's America. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. She Van Fleet, do you believe that, that we have folks in the media that are decrying this again this uh, particular clip that you're hearing right now is from let's see what's her name again just to make sure i don't mess up heidi prisbola on msnbc and she van fleet with about a minute or a minute and a half to go uh what are your final thoughts my final thought is that that's why we're in trouble today that it took me so long to understand why we have the freedom. And uh, because we ha- our freedom is not from the government that I experienced in China. And it's from our creator. So it, no one can take it away. And, and, and in China, the government give you something, allow you something, they can always take it away. And they do that all the time. And so today we have journalists in a major um, news media talking about that our rights are from the government. So that is why America is in trouble, because our educational and the media, our educational system and the media has been indoctrinated the, uh, in the, the, uh, the students for generations. And that's why we have people like that. They absolutely think like a communist. Think like a slave. <laughs> that was yeah. shocking. That is shocking. She Van Fleet, let everybody know how they can follow you, how they can get a copy of the book and keep up with all the work you're doing. Yeah, please. You know, anywhere books are sold, you can find my book. You know, Amazon, if you buy from Amazon, please leave a re, uh, review. And follow me, please follow me on X, or formerly known as Twitter, X. <laughs> Van Fleet, and I tweet every day. Outstanding. She Van Fleet, follow her on X, get a copy of the book Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. She, you are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. God bless you. Folks, we're coming right back. Open phone America. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to hour number three of the program. I am your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to chat with you tonight. We call this third hour Open Phone America. That's where you get to chime in and give us a call. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we've uh, discussed a number of things tonight. We just had an excellent, very robust conversation on on cultural Marxism, what it looks like uh, in in uh, juxtaposition from the Chinese Cultural Revolution to what we're seeing in our own culture here in the United States today, present-day America. Of course, we had a conversation as well about uh, the story of a kid from a small town in Massachusetts ends up at Columbia Business School, becomes the CEO of 7-Eleven, as well as Blockbuster Video back in the days. And now he's beating the drum for education because he says education's what will save America. I tend to agree with him on that one. And, of course, we had uh, other conversation about Donaldus Magnus El Trompito and his arch nemesis, Joe El Baboso Biden, and how they're facing off and what the polls look like and all of the um, races that are yet to come. So I want to get your thoughts on all of that stuff. If you want to weigh in, feel free. Again, that number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to start off with something where um, the CEO of, uh, let's see, what company was that? Kellogg. And he decides to say, you know, Kellogg's a cereal company. And he decides to say that, well, you know, if, if the economy's really tough, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, then maybe people should eat more cereal instead of buying chicken. Because after all, cereal's cheaper. Listen to this. We're advertising about cereal for dinner. If you think about the cost of cereal for a family versus what they might otherwise do, that's going to be much more affordable. The other places that we like to go is... We talk about making sure we have the right pack at the right price in the right place. So having a different size pack that'll have a different price point, that'll take some pressure off the consumer while they're shopping. So those are some of the things that we're doing. But in in general, the cereal category is a place that a lot of folks might come to because the price of a bowl of cereal with with milk and with fruit is less than a dollar. So you can imagine why a consumer under pressure might find that to be a good place to go. That's Gary Pilnick. He is the CEO of Kellogg. And um, Kellogg's CEO is giving advice to cash-strapped American shoppers who are spending the highest portion of their income on food than at any point in the last 30 years. And that was an interview he did just last week with CNBC. And uh, that was what he said. You heard him say it. You know, you you need to take a, a look. He said, give chicken the night off. <laughs> Listen, I don't blame them. It's like when you go to uh, Chick-fil-A, um, they, um, it says eat more chicken, right? The little cow, it says eat more chicken. And um, listen, I get it. Everybody's trying to promote their brand and put themselves out there. But I think people 
are going to tend to take this um, the wrong way. I could just imagine, you know, when my kids were young, I was recently divorced and uh, they lived with me half the time. Uh, so one week, four days a week, the next week, three days a week, the following week, four days a week. And that was the schedule we had. And I can tell you there were times where things were challenging. So I was taking care of my dad who was ill at the time and I, I wasn't able to work as much. Um, and so it, it, things were tough. And I, that was, again, um, 2007, 8, 9, 10, you know, those years. And all I could think of is if somebody were to tell me, listen, you got to eat more cereal, I'd probably tell them to go F themselves because, <laughs> you know, I think as a parent, when you're on a limited budget, and I think everybody, it doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or anybody else, everybody's working off of some sort of budget. You, you know what you can spend. You know where you're shopping. You know where you're getting your deals. And people are trying to survive and make it happen. And for somebody to come to you and just uh, make that type of suggestion is, is a very uh, flip way of looking at things, I think, and would tend to tick off a lot of people. Maybe I'm wrong, but you let me know what your thoughts are on the CEO of Kellogg's telling you, listen, give chicken that I know off. It's okay to have a little bit of uh, cereal for dinner, especially if you have fruit because it's under a dollar. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a stretch. Anyway, I want to get to your, your thoughts on everything that's going on. Uh, in America at night. And um, let's hit the phones. 833-4825-337-8334 Valdez. Let us go to Bruce Stanwood, Washington, listening on KTTH. Bruce, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Mr. Valdez. I really appreciate this opportunity. Again, I called you last week, and this is somewhat of a continuation of where we left off only with uh, a different slant, and also could touch on the educational item you mentioned was of interest to that, uh, sure. that Chinese gentleman you, you were talking about. And what are your uh, thoughts? So could I, make, could I make a few comments and then uh, finish? Go for it. We're for running you? out of time. Feel free. Okay. Uh, by definition of Article 18 U.S. Code 2383, uh, the very law that has been levied against former President Trump, uh, it appears to me that President Biden, his administration, and other uh, liberal Democrats uh, have themselves incited and engaged in deliberate schemes and activities of rebelling and insurrection against the United States uh, government and constitutional laws. Uh, this with their implicit uh, intentional implementation of Marxist ideologies and agendas in all major United States institutions with profoundly devastating effects for the national economy, security, sovereignty, and public safety. And we know that with the open border uh, problem in conjunction with the uh, defunding of police, uh, that is uh, uh, a formula that escalates, uh, severely escalates uh, lawlessness. I agree with you. Listen, uh, Bruce, this is one of those things where I think you're, you're spot on. Uh, not only do we have a a problem with uh, Americans embracing Marxism, which many would say this is an act of treason against the United States. It's it's uh, antithetical to what this country was founded on, but also um, the the dereliction of duty to protect the sovereignty of our country, to allow our borders to be open. This is um, it, it's sacrilege, if nothing else. And absolutely, Joe El Baboso Biden must be held accountable for this. Just the question is, will he? Right. What are the legal remedies that we have? We have the 25th Amendment. We've got impeachment. What we don't have is any type of legal remedy like we're going to put him in jail. We're going to indict him. We're going to do those. That that uh, remedy doesn't exist. So I think that Congress, uh, Jim Jordan and and others uh, have 
taken the steps necessary to begin the impeachment inquiry towards Biden. I, I don't know that that can ever pass. I wish that it would. And what I mean pass, I mean, you know, we have a full trial in the Senate where Biden is convicted. I don't I don't see that happening. I wish it would. But if nothing else, we we try this in the court of public opinion. And then it's uh, all of our job to make sure that people understand what's at stake and why this is so detrimental to our country. Because I think otherwise some people think, oh, what's the problem with a few new Americans? They're coming to our country. Good for them. They're doing what we don't want to do. Well, as long as people continue thinking like that, we'll we'll continue to uh, exacerbate the problem that we have and add to it. And I think this is where we have to draw the line. My opinion. But, uh, Bruce, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Folks, we're coming right back. The rest of your calls and more don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Because the fact is Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. He really is a threat to democracy. I stand before you today not only as your past and hopefully future president, but as a proud political dissident. I am a dissident. Remember this, I've been indicted more than Alphonse Capone, Mr. President. Do you know who that is? Even the president just said, I do. Scarface, Al Capone. If he had dinner with you and he didn't like the smile in your face, he thought you were mocking him by smiling, you would be dead before you got home and said hello to your wife. And Alphonse Capone, I, have, I got indicted four times by this gang of thugs for nothing. Or, as I say respectfully to the people from foreign countries, for bull****. All right. Again, that is Trump uh, delivering his remarks at CPAC uh, this weekend in Washington, D.C. area. And uh, Trump says he's a political dissident. I tend to agree. Uh, It's interesting that that's what you get called now when you are um, and how you get treated, you know, as an outsider getting indicted like Al Capone. And uh, I think Trump is right on target using his business skills to kind of market his campaign here for people to understand. And it seems like the average everyday person, whether it's the launching of his sneakers appealing to younger communities uh, or, uh, you know, remarks like these where he's focused on very, very common sense, cut through the noise type of commentary where he's saying, look, they're indicting me more than they indicted Al Capone. Let that sink in where people really realize, wow, look, we may not like his orangeness. We may not like his bravado, his bull in the China shop approach, this, that, the other, the mean tweets, the um, whatever. 
But ultimately, Trump shouldn't be indicted more than Al Capone. And, and to find out that he is, is uh, it's an eye-opener. And I think it is for a lot of people. Let's uh, go to the phones. Let's go to right in the smack dab in the middle of our country, Chicago, Illinois, WGN. Diane, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Oh, hi, Rich. Um, there's a, so many topics that are, you know, worth discussing. What are your thoughts I'm on Trump? To, Trump, I, my thing is... Um, you know, it's just like this is just me, but I, I I don't like to see when something when you when you when you're for somebody and then they start maybe getting like moving towards something that, in other words, the old Trump of the '80s, okay, the business thing that not that business is a bad thing, but that sort of deep state kind of mentality. This is just me saying this. I don't really probably know exactly what I'm even saying here, but yeah. Nikki Haley, for example, now he should not pick her thinking that this is because he will be moving toward the uh, same old thing. I now see, like cutting a deal, cutting a deal to be like the deal maker, the art of the deal, saying, look, I don't like her, you don't like her, but folks, we got to work with the swamp, so we have one of them uh, picking her as a running mate, that type of thing? Yes, because he'll be tempted to go back to the old, not not really, but he said dissident, that's, that's a good thing to say, but um, he needs to keep his mind on what his troubles that he went through and the people who were for him because he was going through so much being beaten up. And now if he starts being liked by certain moderate types, they may edge up toward him. I don't know. This is bizarre. But anyway, I wish he would pick DeSantis. Yeah. Well, I mean, DeSantis has made it clear that he wouldn't be number two to anybody and he's going to remain governor until he can become president himself. But uh, yeah, I, I think that would have been great. I think it would have been a great uh, thing. I mean, I don't think the two guys from Florida can run together anyway, but I, I understand why DeSantis doesn't want to do it. And I think if he plays things right, he he's in a safe governorship for the most part. Uh, he just continues to do a good job there. He maintains. He gives himself another four years to position himself and then come back uh, as, you know, as as the guy. You know, you're going to take Nikki Haley uh, or you're going to take Ron DeSantis. And I think uh, he would he would emerge triumphant in a situation like that um, with um, with being in the White House. I think he'd be relegated to being another Mike Pence. And again, nothing wrong with Mike Pence. If you like Mike Pence, good. Uh, I think Mike Pence is a, is a very uh, good person. Uh, there are things I've agreed with that he's done, things that I may not have agreed with. But ultimately, uh, he probably had one of the more active roles as vice president because he was the COVID czar for the Trump administration. But all that being said, the vice president in, in many ways is largely ceremonial or uh, serving in the Senate as the Senate president and a tiebreaker. So I think you take a guy like DeSantis, who's, you know, in, in the public eye, he's out there, he's uh, taking on Disney's doing this, he's doing that, doing the third. And you put him in a position where now he's, you know, giving speeches at West Point when Trump can't make it. And, it, you just relegate them to being some sort of ceremonial figurehead, uh, vice president of the United States. I think it kind of neuters DeSantis in many ways if, if he's the guy you're picking. So I think you've got to pick somebody who is positioning themselves for the presidency in the future uh, so that this isn't a complete waste for them. Uh, that will be, in effect, a very good number two person. And and that's going to make things happen. And and that's ultimately where I think it goes, Diane. Uh, because otherwise, you know, what 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 do we have left? You know. 
Well, he's, he, he, he has, he, he, uh, vice presidency has been so denigrated, but maybe in, it isn't. Maybe this is a, a, to do a good job wherever you are. And he is young and he could, you know, make still, you know, for, build up for his future. But I don't think he should pick a woman, even though they're that Miss Lake and whoever. It, because you think back to the McCain Palin thing, I think a woman's situation is going to bring up all that abortion issue thing. I'm anti abortion. But the thing is, that shouldn't be that woman's issue going toward. It should be, I think, I think he should pick a guy. Yeah. Well, and again, maybe that's a solid advice. I just think there is a a genuine voting block that decides elections in this country. And they're known as suburban moms. And if you cannot peel off a portion of that voting block, along with other important voting blocks, you know, minority voters, your traditional um, straight white male voter, uh, working class voter, all that. Every you have to win a good portion of all. And the one where I think Trump has had the most difficulty uh, attracting and maintaining support is that that suburban mom. And if uh, the suburban white women moms uh, don't jump on board with Trump, there's going to be a problem. So I think he needs someone that is going to be able to rally that support. And I don't know if it's a woman or a man. But I do think it's got to be someone that they support. And uh, maybe that is Christy Nome. Maybe that is Carrie Lake. Maybe it's somebody else. But I think ultimately it, it would not hurt uh, to have uh, the diversity of a woman on the ticket. I don't know if that's the goal they're going for. Uh, I know most conservatives would say, who cares about diversity? Uh, I know I, I could care less. It's, whoever's good for it is good for it. You know, whoever's going to do the best job. The problem is that's not the contest that we're playing, right? The contest we're playing in is the presidential election. It's the uh, the contest of, of winning states in the Electoral College and then ultimately um, winning people over in the court of public opinion. And I think there, that is where they'll face the biggest challenge if they, if the media can grab a hold and say, Trump, uh, like last time, picked another old, straight white guy to run as his running mate. There's no change in this Republican Party and try to um, influence one way or the other. Again, I think you pick the right person for the job, but in many ways, a woman might be the ideal person to sway those votes. Diane, thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody in Chicago listening on WGN. And folks, the rest of your calls and more coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. Stick with me. Latino. America at night with Rich Valdez. Call now 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your uh, calls, your conversation, comments, and more. We've got calls from all over the country coming in. But before I do that, I just wanted to uh, uh, go back to something that I mentioned earlier. And uh, we talked about this Kellogg's uh, CEO and how he put his foot in his mouth, at least some say. Uh, I'd like your thoughts on that if you're calling in. Uh, let me know if you think he put his foot in his mouth or not by saying to eat cereal. Or was that just good advice? Was it a good uh economy hack, if you will. 
Now, something else that we talked about tonight was, do our rights come from God or from government? And we had a really good conversation about that at the top of the hour, as well as um, at the uh, bottom of the hour, hour number two, with She Van Fleet, the author of uh, the book Mao's America. And and let me tell you, that was a really eye-opening conversation. And made me wonder, you know, why are we so historically illiterate? Forget why so much as what are we going to do to stop it? What are we going to do to make sure that people are not only um, um, ignorant to civics, but ignorant to history? How do we stop this type of illiteracy from continuing? I, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that we have to do something, right? Because Ultimately, we're in rough shape. Now, Gavin Newsom was on Meet the Press. He's the governor of California, and he's facing his own uh, current, a new current recall effort against him. But uh, my cut list here, cut number 15, Gavin Newsom is on Meet the Press, and he's saying that it's precisely because of Joe El Baboso Biden's age that he's been so successful. I'm thinking, uh, successful at what? Breaking everything? Listen to this. It's because of his age that he's been so successful. It's because of the wisdom and the character that's developed over years that we have the Chips and Science Act, the Infrastructure Bill and the PACT Act and the Safer Communities Act. And because we've seen these bipartisan accomplishments because of his capacity of understanding, because of his leadership. So the opportunity to express that for four more years, what a gift it is for the American people. And as a Democrat, what a gift for me to make the case for the leader of our party, Joe Biden. So that's Gavin Newsom saying Biden's fantastic. It's because he's old. Joe El Viejito Biden is doing a great job because of his age and his experience. Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, it sounds like a like a crock to me, but I want to know what you guys think. Uh, Let's see. Where do we go from here? Uh, Let's go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, go right ahead. Hey, great talk to you as always. Rich, you do a great show. I'm telling you, you are excellent. Thank you, Sarah. Um, uh, real quick, um, and I say this as a white woman, it's kind of frustrating when you get these voting blocks and suburban white women. Um, you know, at one time there was a block of soccer moms who voted Clinton into the White House, and I don't think we have common ground with those people. And if there's suburban conservative women, I'm all for them. But as a voting block, you know, if they're going to let one issue hang up abortion, but maybe they agree with Trump on all the other issues, but they're going to let one issue stop them from voting for Trump, then they're making a big mistake. Because I'm going to tell you something. The progressive left, they can say that they love women all they want, but they want to disarm women, and they want to make life harder for uh, victims of crime and support the criminals. And as a woman, I find that very threatening. And and I'm sorry, but if... Women are too short-sighted to see that the left has sold them out. I I, I don't know what will wake them up. Hmm. You know, this is an interesting point. And again, you may be right on this, but does it, do you think it makes a difference, right? Will it change what actually happens in the trajectory of the election? Will people really hang their hat on abortion, uh, these suburban uh, moms? Uh, Do they eventually come around and see things differently and say, well, you know what, I'm going to have one... um, um, issue uh, split hairs here, or do they do exactly that and say this is the wedge issue that defines me, and I absolutely not uh, will not support Trump because uh, I might agree with him on a bunch of things, but if he's pro-life, I'm not, and that's that. Do you think that which way do you think that falls? 
It's really hard to say. It, I, I hate to speak for all women. I know one woman who's otherwise conservative, a very strong pro-abortion. Um, I think she'll vote for Trump, but um, she does have some really strong feelings on abortion. But that's just one person I know. There may be other women who um, are kind of soft on some issues. You know what I'm saying? It really depends on how many issues they feel that they're conservative about versus um, what they're more liberal about. Um, and I hate to make a prediction on that. I really do. But I just feel that it's sad that we can't pick candidates on what they view. Look, I'm all for women's rights, and there's some great women, you know, Margaret Taylor, Taylor Glean, Christy Noam. There's some great hardcore women conservative politicians. But I think you should just choose somebody because they're a good ideologue and that they'll do a good job. And I kind of hate this idea that you have to pick a person because of this or pick a person because of that. You know, I like Trump. He's a guy. I don't care what color he was or if he's a man or a woman. I love his viewpoint. I love that he's willing to stand up and fight, and he doesn't get intimidated by the left. And that's what we really should pick people on their views and their abilities and um, their fortitude. Well said. I, I don't think I could have said it any better. Uh, Sarah, thank you for that. What do you think about this um, Kellogg CEO? Do you think that he was taking shots at people telling him to stop eating chicken for a night? Uh, was it insensitive? Was it tone deaf? Or was he just out there representing his company saying, look, uh, some cornflakes uh, will do you good? Well, I kind of missed the whole that little news blurb. So he was kind of telling people not to eat chicken and to eat cereal instead. Is that, yeah, am yeah, I right. getting that he's right? the CEO of Kellogg's. So some people are saying, you know, how dare you? Uh, I think others... Um, you know, understood where he was coming from. I, I, I'm on the fence. I think he was doing his job, but it definitely could be perceived that way. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to tell. I mean, like the the founder of uh, Kellogg had a had a whole philosophy about eating grains and a whole lifestyle thing. And I don't know if he was following in those footsteps or if he was putting a plug. Without really knowing more about his underlying ideology, it's hard to say. You know, he's obviously promoting a cereal, but. Why is he going after the chicken folks? He's kind of alienated the whole poultry industry. So I don't know if it was the smartest move. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, listen, I get that. Uh, Sarah, thank you for your call. Like always, excellent insight. Love speaking with you. And, uh, folks, we're going to continue uh, straight ahead with the rest of your calls. Let me see. Where do we go from here? Let's go to Scott. Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Scott, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Oh, hello, Rich. Thank you for playing uh, Gavin Newsom's disgraceful remarks. It's uh, I don't know if he's trying to play Mr. Nice Guy, so he's uh, you know going to be the shoulder that the widow cries on, so to speak, figuratively. But mm. I heard those ridiculous over-the-top remarks and all I could think is that I hope Gavin Newsom gargled with mouthwash after that interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's full of it, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. Um, that was, uh, I don't know who believed it. I don't think Gavin believed it. I don't even think Biden believed it. Um, and, you know, when you pay people a compliment, it's difficult for most people to to, to not believe the compliment. But uh, honestly, that one, uh, I think Biden's doing a great job because of his age, not in spite of his age, because of his age. Uh, yeah, I think that one was spreading it too thick, way over the top. I, I think you're spot on. I don't think anybody believes that. Um, Scott, what do you think about the CEO of Kellogg's? Did he uh, overstep his bounds? Did he not? 
was his um, plug of eating cereal one night a week and giving chicken a rest. Was it a smart thing to do or an insensitive thing to do? Oh, I think uh, nothing wrong with that. I mean, I I ate a bowl of cereal a lot of days after school when I got home because it was a long stretch from lunch to late dinner. And uh, But his point about it being under a dollar is probably true. But I think you can still, for under a dollar, give a kid uh, two eggs and some toast and a slice of ham for about a dollar. I think that would be more uh, better with the protein and mm-hmm. balancing it. Uh, of course, a vegetable would be better. He did mention fruit. I'll give him that. But fruit's so darn expensive these days, Rich. Oh, my goodness. What isn't, right? I mean, everything's so expensive. And, um, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I need to eat more protein. And I typically eat a very high-protein diet. But I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Now, because I eat a high-protein diet, I, I, I'm super low-carb. Half the time, I'm like keto. And, and that's great for weight loss or even weight maintenance. However, um, you know, a little bit of peanut butter is like 8 grams of, of, uh, of, of protein. And, you know, the, the sugar-free je- uh, grape jelly preserves that I use that don't, don't uh, have much protein, if any. So, and uh, the keto bread that I use, which is non-wheat-based or whatever, same thing. So it becomes um, an exercise, and it tastes good, but it's not good for you. And when you, you, you could still lose weight, I guess, if you create a calorie deficit, but you're not nourishing yourself. And this was pointed out to me uh, recently, and it's a very good point. Uh, and I think that the same could end up happening if, if you uh, get hooked on cereal, you know. And I used to really like Captain Crunch, too, when I was a kid. Uh, lots of sugar, lots of everything, but probably not a ton of all the uh, protein that you need in your diet. So I think you're on to something, Scott. I think you are. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Folks, the rest of your calls and more coming up straight ahead. 833-4825-337-8334 Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now 833 4Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, we get to your calls and more straight ahead. I just want to share this story with you. There's a Wendy's fast food restaurant, and uh, listen to this. They're planning now charging Uber-styled surge pricing because burger prices uh, fluctuate based on demand. Yep, the Wendy's is preparing this surge pricing model, meaning that the Dave's Burger will cost more during the lunch or dinner time rush. Fast food uh, chain Wendy's has this unappetizing plan and it's going to be tested in a high-stakes rollout next year. They're going to squeeze more money out of people who are already beaten up by inflation and who may not even have the option to eat 
uh, their meals during off-peak hours. So what's Wendy's going to do? Say, no, 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 give the cow a break, take some uh, some Kellogg cereal. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out, but we're going to go to your uh, calls with the, with the rest of these comments. Let's uh, see. Where do we go here? Let's go to... Uh, hold on. Don't go anywhere. Hold on. Let's go. We've got, man, there are so many calls. I'm trying to get to the one that's been on the hold the longest. Uh, let's go to Dan in Washington, Pennsylvania, listening on KDKA. Dan, do you think Wendy's is going to win or lose with this surge pricing? Um, my, uh, old girlfriend's name was Wendy. And, uh, I think they're going to win because the shopper is going to go to the time for their lunch when they can pay, uh, get a better, you know, price for their, what, the item that they want. They'll go an hour. I don't know what the hours would be, but you know, right. they'll take an early lunch. You know, I, I think it may work. I'm with you there. But, now, tell me about what, what you think happens if either one of these guys, Trump or Biden, bump into each other at Wendy's or even worse, at the border. Well, I think uh, today Joe was, you know, of course, Trump had C-SPAN, you know, just a little get-together of people. And uh, Biden had to deal with uh, Congress leaders for his uh, government shutdown. And... uh you know, with the full moon overhead, I I yeah. think uh, they may have to give Joe uh, uh, an injection in the cojones to uh, <laughs> get him uh, up to snuff. <laughs> I think you're probably spot on there, Dan. Uh, that's funny. An injection in the cojones. I love that. Dan in Washington, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Big shout out to everybody listening on America's oldest radio station. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to Danbury, Connecticut, W-L-A-D. Jim, go right ahead. How you doing, Rich? Good evening. I got a question for you. Have you ever seen a program? It's PBS. It's called uh, Democracy on Trial. I've never seen it. I don't watch a lot of PBS. Well, I watched it last night. I got to tell you, very riveting because all radio stations, I don't care if it's CNBC, MS, uh, CBS, uh, CNN, they all have their spin to satisfy this uh, listener base. But I watched this program. It's about two and a half hours and a very, very good watch. Of course, it's about Trump. And it went into detail about the indictment with the insurrection and stuff. And I tell you, very powerful. I got a couple of friends of mine that are staunch Republicans that are jumping ship. I've never seen anything so riveting. And, then, you know, PBS, there's no bias, but they left no stone. What, what do you mean there's no bias? PBS is literally... Uh... Public broadcasting. That's uh, some of the most biased stuff I've ever seen. It's, it's li- literally why I don't watch a lot of it. I think PBS has been, um, I've never seen anything that favors or leans in the direction of a conservative Republican ever come out of PBS, ever. Uh, literally like 100% of all of the products that they put out, um, including the title of the documentary you saw, which I would probably label a propaganda piece, democracy on trial. I mean, how misleading could that be? Democracy is not on trial, right? Democracy is everybody in favor say I. Raise your hand. Cast your vote. Our democracy is not in question. It's not on trial. It's not anything, right? What, what's what's uh, being questioned here are certain crimes alleged against a, a former president that continually seem to be proving to be untrue, 
right, with uh, prosecutors that are overzealous and they themselves breaking the rules to get at Trump. So, I mean, I think looking at the facts is a lot better than looking at the riveting documentary. But uh, I'll take a look at it. Maybe we can have that debate another day. Jim in Danbury, Connecticut, thank you for the call. Big shout out to WLAD. Folks, don't go anywhere. Speed round coming up. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, here we go. It's the speed round. Three calls, two minutes. Let's see what we can do. Let's go to Paul, Boise, Idaho, listening online. Rich Valdez, America at night. Go right ahead, Paul. Thanks, Rich. You know, it's funny. The boardroom people at Kellogg's don't know what's in the box that reaches the table in the kitchen because the boxes have shrank. The product in there, the net weight cereal has shrank, but the price has doubled. So I don't know how you can say that you're going to save money instead of eating chicken by eating cereal. And I can speak from experience because I still eat cereal for dinner, and it's expensive now. Yeah, listen, I, I'm with you. Uh, I, I When he said it's under a dollar, I'm thinking, I don't know. Depends on where you buy the cereal. Sometimes these boxes are eight, nine bucks. Sometimes they're five or six bucks. If you go to the cheap stuff, it's like three, four Four fifty. So uh, I don't know. I think it was uh, that part was interesting. And fruit. Have you bought strawberries lately? They cost a fortune. Anyway, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Let's go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana. K O F I quickly. I'd like to think outside of the cereal box. I, just, <laughs> I don't like cereal that much. I like to question authority too much. But uh, a lot of the cereals I eat. Um, they don't get soggy in the milk anymore. It's like a particle board. It just hits huh. my gums. That's crazy. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Frank, because earlier I mentioned I like Captain Crunch. The only reason I like Captain Crunch is because it takes a little longer to get soggy, but that's when I like it, when it gets soggy. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're right on to something, Frank. I appreciate it. Shout out to KOFI. And Richard in South, uh, South Carolina on WTMA says Kellogg's is uh, sodium and sugar. The CEO is irresponsible. You're right. There might be something to that. Depends which cereal. Shout out to everybody who called in tonight. Hasta la próxima. God bless you, America. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.